Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mum, if you are watching this... It doesn't matter what we've been through. We still love you and we want you back in our lives. Mum was so young when she met Dad. Sandra was my first real love. But that didn't work out. So she decided to start online dating. All of it started when David came in. He said that he worked in the media, that he's a busy man, but I never saw him go off to work. I had no idea what was going on. She was distancing herself from us. I didn't know who she was becoming. Two years after they first started dating, Mum and David left the house. I didn't think that, that would be the last time that me or my children would see her. Who is this guy? What does he want? Couldn't find anything on him, but I looked further. I first came to hear about the Robert Freeguard. We knew that we were dealing with an imposter. He'd pretended to be a spy. He'd taken hundreds of thousands of pounds. As far as the FBI was concerned, he was traveling from country to country undetected for 10 years. He was like chasing a ghost. He controlled everything in my life, where I went, what I did. He'd psychologically entrapped them. Suddenly all made sense at once. It was just too similar to what had happened all those years ago. It just seems that there's someone pulling the strings. I believe the person behind all of this is Freeguard. I haven't seen my mum in seven years. We don't know where she is. This man should be known because of the damage he's done. There are other women out there that maybe need to be saved. I don't care how long it takes. We will never give up. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. Today's episode is going to be a little different. Well, it is and it isn't. But know that you've spoken to me and messaged and I've listened. So I'm really excited to jump on and give you my two cents. Well, it's more like seven cents, as I'm going to let you in on my seven takeaways about Netflix's popular and trending docuseries called The Puppet Master, Hunting the Ultimate Con Man. Have you watched it yet? Well, you really should before listening to this. And I guess even if you haven't watched it, there's some interesting points that I want to make. But take this as your spoiler alert, because I'm going in in this episode. Now, those of you lovely lot who've been following my work for some time, you'll know that I started doing my two cents on social media and also on my website about cases, which, by the way, my website is laurarichards.co.uk. So go check that out. 
Well, previously on My Two Cents, I gave my quick daily take on cases like Harvey Weinstein and his trial, as there was so much going on, well, so much gaslighting going on by both him and his legal team, that I wanted to set the record straight and reframe their nonsense, and reframe it with a victim-centric lens and the truth. And that's really what My Two Cents is about, reframing from an expert female lens perspective, because it really riles me when no one seeks an expert female opinion when talking about male violence towards women and girls, and the same old BS is trotted out time and time again. So I'm really excited to drop my two cents on Crime Analyst. And if there's anything you'd like a quickish reaction to, well, let me know. And I'm thinking about dropping some videos too, but I'm busy raffying a lot of the time, so he may well make a few appearances. But what do you think about that? Yay or nay? Hit me up on social media. Okay, and so too The Puppet Master on Netflix. Well, it's a three-part docu-series which premiered on January the 18th and it's produced by Raw. Now, Raw are famed for Don't F With Cats and The R Word, the serial killer who won't be named by me. And I refer to him as P.S. and I will not utter the word, the R word, that god-awful moniker, but you can listen to me deconstruct and reinvestigate the case because it's my first case on Crime Analyst and I documented my reinvestigation across many episodes. So The Forgotten Victim is the series, so go check that out along with the Netflix show. Also, I've talked about Don't F With The Kitties on Real Crime Profile, and I also had the pleasure of meeting and interviewing Buddy Muvan, or Diana, as she's known, and John Green. So go check out those episodes too. But obviously not now. Do it after you've listened to this episode, because I want your undivided attention. So Raw have done a pretty good job here. So firstly, props to them. I watched The Puppet Master as a few friends said to me that when they were watching it, they thought of me. And of course, that piqued my curiosity. And then you lot started sending me messages. So I got on it. And literally, I jumped off my seat when a certain FBI special agent, Jacqueline Zapacosta, huge kudos to you, when Jacqueline Zapacosta stated, it's coercive control. Back the truck up, I yelled and hit rewind multiple times. I was so happy after all the hard work getting coercive control into the zeitgeist and it's now been referenced in at least three Netflix shows. Dirty John, The Dirty Truth, Sophie, A Murder in West Cork about Sophie Toscan Duplantier and check out my multi-episode series on Sophie's case and now The Puppet Master. So woohoo and yes, I am doing a happy dance. Changing laws, getting this into our lexicon and our zeitgeist, it really is moving the needle and it's so important. And what's more, it really needs to move the needle on accountability and getting these cases to court. So, okay, let's dive in now. These are my seven takeaways. Firstly, well done to all those brave enough to speak out in the docu-series. It's really not easy. Kudos to Sarah Smith, Jake and Sophie Clifton, John Atkinson. It really takes courage and I can see the turmoil and devastation and the shame all etched on your faces. But please know it wasn't your fault. You're not to blame. This is about what he did. It's about his lies and manipulation and he's learned his tradecraft. And remember, he managed to control three adults all at the same time for five years or more. That's instructive to me. Whilst others go to work and focus on their careers or focus on raising a family or whatever it is that it might be, this man, Hendy Freegard, 
is focused on how to manipulate and deceive others for his own benefit, and he's learned what works, and that's all him. And a big shout-out to Peter Smith. I mean, come on, what an awesome old-school armchair detective. He set up a command centre in his house. He was amazing, and of course driven and highly motivated to find out what happened to his daughter Sarah. And as he says, love certainly does spring eternal. But is he really a farmer? I mean, Peter, you're better than most detectives and intelligence officers. I would definitely have you on my team, along with Deanna and John from Don't F With The Kitties any day. You never gave up and you're simply awesome. So that having been said, I suspect that there are, of course, many more victims. Some are probably yet to be discovered. Others may feel too ashamed to say anything. Others may not even see it as abuse. Or perhaps they feel that they're in some way to blame and they just feel so much shame. And some victims may not have been used in the docuseries for various legal reasons. But even before the police finally got their finger out, I knew this would be the case. I could tell from his MO, modus operandi, and the levels of control that he was a career criminal right from the start. But of course, the police discovered dozens of passports and credit cards belonging to other women in Hendy Freeguard's room in a hotel in France. And I'm curious, were all these other women tracked down? Were they tracked and traced and statements taken from them? So that's my first question. If that hasn't happened, then it needs to happen. Also, Maria Hendy and Sarah Smith went on the so-called bucket list tour under false pretenses due to the lie John Atkinson told them at Hendy Freeguard's behest. Well, Maria became his girlfriend and she had two daughters with him and she also suffered abuse at his hands for nine years. And I'm curious about that too, because what was noticeable to me was that Maria didn't speak out in the docuseries and neither did Kim Masters. I really hope that they're all okay and I'm going to come back to them later on. My second takeaway is that coercive control can happen to anyone and there are many tactics that abusers use. The behaviours tend to be idiosyncratic and bespoke to each victim. But one of the main tactics for it to work and be effective is isolation. The perpetrator separates the victim from family and friends so they can monopolise their every waking moment under the guise of love or that it's in their best interest. They can then micro-regulate and manage them much more effectively without any interference being run by family and friends and they can create total control and dependency. Once the victim has no one else, they are 100% dependent on the perpetrator for everything. And most victims don't even know that they're being controlled or abused when it's happening. Just like Sandra and Sarah. It's a form of hostage-taking, whereby the abuser takes control of your mind and you become a passenger in your own life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My third takeaway is oftentimes the abuser is called a con man and when they're called a con man, they don't sound as dangerous. They kind of sound harmless, but don't be hoodwinked and don't underestimate them. Some of them are very dangerous. 
Some of them are psychopaths, just like Dirty John, John Meehan, and others are sociopaths. Now, in broad strokes, the difference between the two is the lack of empathy and remorse. Psychopaths are incapable of empathising, and they believe what they're doing is the right thing, and they have no remorse about it at all. It's actually all about them, me, myself and I, and dominate or be dominated. Whereas sociopaths, well, they break the rules too, but they know what they're doing is wrong. Whereas psychopaths believe what they are doing is absolutely right. The narcissism levels are off the chart. Now, Dr. Robert Hare developed the PCLR, the Psychopathy Checklist Revisited, and there are 20 traits that he has identified of a psychopath. So I'm going to run through them for you. And if you were doing an indirect assessment, which I sometimes do, you score someone on the basis of one, maybe it's present, zero, no, it's not present, and two, it's significantly present. And the maximum score is 40. So I'm literally just going to go through and list what they are. And you can think about Hendy Freegard or whoever you might have in mind. But of course, I've got in mind Hendy Freegard here. And I'm going to give a score. And I'm going to be conservative here, but I am going to give a score and we'll see what happens. Okay, so first of all, superficial charm. Well, I've scored him at two. Grandiose sense of self-worth. Well, he says he's an MI5 agent, so I'm scoring him at two. Pathological liar. Scoring him at two. Manipulative and conning. I think we can safely say two. Lack of remorse or guilt. Again, two. Shallow effect, lack of emotions or limited range and depth. Two. Callous or lack of empathy, two. Parasitic lifestyle, two. Poor behavioural controls, two. History of sexual promiscuity, two. History of early behavioural problems or cruel to others. Well, I can't really say too much about that. I've scored zero. Don't know anything about his history. Lack of realistic long-term goals, two. Impulsivity, two. High level of irresponsibility, two. Proneness to boredom, two. Failure to accept responsibility, two. Short-term marital relationships, two. History of juvenile delinquency, zero. Don't know anything about that. Revocation of conditional releases. So this means flouting authority, breaching orders. I put zero. Don't know anything about that. Criminal versatility is 20, so they commit lots of different types of crime. They break the law under the right circumstances. To them, laws don't apply to them, so I've scored him two. So Hendy Freegard, if you add those up, he scores a conservative 34. And anything above 30, well, they're most likely to be psychopathic. So that's a conservative score, like I said, Make no mistake, Hendy Freegard is a dangerous individual. He's not just, in inverted commas, a con man. I believe he's a psychopath, and he's motivated solely by power and control over others. And this case is clearly about coercive control, and thank goodness for FBI Special Agent Jackie Zappacosta, who name-checked it. Now, some of you might be wondering, so what exactly is coercive control? Well, I'm going to define it for you, but I have done numerous episodes with Jess Hill, so I highly recommend that you listen to those episodes too. But in broad strokes, coercive control is a behavioural regime designed to exploit control and create dependency and to dominate. 
It's actually about utter domination and entrapment, and the abuser creates codependency and isolates the victim and prevents them from accessing other people and resources. And over time, the perpetrator erodes the victim's sense of self, their confidence, their self-esteem, their agency and their autonomy. And coercive control significantly correlates with femicide, particularly when the perpetrator is a psychopath and serial abuser. Okay, so four, my fourth takeaway, is that I suspected the case would not end well when I heard the charges that he'd been convicted for, particularly the kidnap charges. There has to be a physical element to kidnap, whereas what's clear to me, having watched the docuseries and of course done my own research, that this was all about coercion. The victims went willingly with him. Granted, they went under false pretenses, but they still went with him. And so this is exactly the type of case which clearly evidences why the coercive control law is needed. There's a gap, and coercive control is a liberty crime. And like I said, with kidnap, you have to show someone was physically restrained, and the women were not. They went with him willingly, he isolated them, he brainwashed them, he created codependency. In other words, they were 100% dependent on him. So let's think about that. Sarah had no ID... She had no money, no means to escape. He'd ensured that she was cut off from her family, from her friends. And she believed that they didn't want to see her. And she believed what he and what they were doing was keeping her safe and ironically keeping her family safe. Her echo chamber had become so small. It was only him in her world. And she listened to him. And where else would she go? She had nowhere else to go. And she had no one else to turn to. Utter domination. Okay, my fifth takeaway is that most coercive controllers are serial. It's a way of life to them. It's how they exist and how they have interpersonal relationships and they move from one victim to the next and the victims normally are women. And predatory men like Hendy Freeguard, where they fish on dating websites and present as something far more exciting than the sad reality of who they actually are. For example, Hendy Freeguard purported to be an MI5 agent a spy, a spook. That's what he disclosed to people. Well, the simple truth is that when you are one, you certainly don't reveal it to strangers. That's a huge red flag. My sixth takeaway, and my advice to you lovely lot, is do your due diligence, particularly if you're dating online, or if anyone enters your life making grand declarations about what they are and who they are and what they do and how they feel about you. Ask more questions. Trust and intimacy where they take time to build. So watch out for the person who creates a whirlwind situation, who love bombs you, who tries to monopolise your time, who rather than wanting to spend time meeting people in your life, they spend their time driving a wedge between you and the people you care about. They sow seeds of doubt. So watch their actions If they say they have money and a job, do they actually spend their own money? And do they go to work? Do they avoid photos? Do they disappear at short notice? Are they uncontactable for periods of time? And when they're back, and they're back in contact with you, do they bombard you with messages again? Lastly, Googly is your friend. Most people have a social media profile or a footprint. And if they don't, you should be asking why not? And if they do, well, analyse what you see. 
Look at the comments of people and what they make about them and look at how they interact with others. And if you're unsure, investigate further. But trust your gut. Now, you can check out more information about coercive control on my website. There's quite a lot of information on there under various tabs like what exactly is coercive control and deep diving coercive control. And what are some of the signs of coercive control? Is your partner coercively controlling you? What to do if someone you care about is experiencing coercive control? And there's a coercive control quiz. There's also advice for anyone online dating. And there's also information about my law reform campaigns in the UK, the US and Australia. And you can sign the petitions there. I'll also add the links to the show notes. But I put a lot of information on my website and also on the DASH risk checklist website. The DASH stands for Domestic Abuse, Stalking and Harassment and Honour-Based Violence Risk Model. So do use the DASH website and you can click through at your own leisure. And you never know when you or someone that you might love or that you're close to might need it. So relevant to the docu-series, coercive control became a crime in England and Wales following the successful campaign that I spearheaded. And having changed the law on stalking in 2012 and made sure that it was clear in the legislation that it's a pattern of behaviour, it seemed bizarre to me that domestic abuse and coercive control wasn't a crime. And the psychological, the emotional, the financial behaviours, which many women say are far more debilitating and destructive and paralysing than physical abuse, well, all that was invisible in the eyes of the law. And I was constantly told by victims that I work with that bruises fade and the broken bones, well, they mend, but the psychological torture and the scars, well, they last forever and they're invisible to everyone and you can't put a bandage around your mind and your soul. So I had to make it visible because I know that domestic abuse is all about power and control and physical abuse is most often used to reinforce the control but normally it's used after all the other tactics no longer work. So check out the Power and Control Wheel from Duluth, Minnesota, and definitely read more on my website. So when the law changed and coercive control became a crime in its own right, the legislation wasn't retroactive. In other words, it can't be used in historical cases like Sarah's. But Sandra Clifton, Jack and Sophie's mum, is still with him. And remember, the padlock on the bedroom door... The fact that she didn't go to her own parents' funeral when she was close with them and that she has really limited contact with her children, well, these factors and others point to coercive control. And it's really interesting to me that Sandra was spoken to by police in 2015, but were they trained in coercive control? It's really unlikely because there was no real training specific to the coercive control law because the actual law wasn't implemented until 2016 and I actually ran the first training sessions about the legislation before the law was implemented. And did the police officers speak with Sandra alone? And if so, who spoke with her? Did they know the right questions to ask? Asking Sandra if she's okay or whether Hendy Freegard had been abusive to her would not really unlock or elicit what was really going on. And even mentioning his history, do you know about his history? Well, she said that she did, but even that still wouldn't give a true understanding of what was happening in the relationship. You see, you have to ask women if they're safe, whether they feel safe, 
and you want to ascertain what level of autonomy they have to make decisions in their life. For example, is she totally dependent and is she being micromanaged? Are there rules and regulations that she has to abide by? Are there invisible chains that bind her? Does she have access to money? Does she have her own bank account? Does she have any form of identification, her passport? Does she have a job, a car, or access to a car? Does she have friends around her, a support network? What hobbies does she have? You're looking for whether she has agency and autonomy outside of the relationship. And you're looking for signs of a healthy relationship and whether she's happy and thriving. You're also looking for signs of scripting and similar language when you speak with both the potential victim and the potential perpetrator. Are her responses robotic, like she's going through the motions, like it's almost scripted and she's flat? Does she appear worried, fearful, anxious or agitated or even angry? Is she looking to check back with the abuser before answering? And you have to remember that even though he's not by her side, he's in her head. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's brainwashed her, so she polices herself and self-regulates. There's a lot more I could say, so I'll end by sharing with you a case which exemplifies everything I'm talking about in terms of how important expert-led training in coercive control is and asking the right questions. A young police officer shared with me what happened at a call-out he attended to a woman's house due to suspected domestic abuse. Now, the officer was young in service, and he asked if he could talk with her in the kitchen. She lived in a large, well-kept, five-bedroomed house. Everything was tidy in the house, the lawns were manicured, and she was well-dressed, and she presented as calm and confident. They sat down at the kitchen table, and he went through the dash risk model. She answered no to every question. He couldn't understand why she wouldn't open up about what was going on, and he tried everything to build trust and confidence, but he suspected there was much more going on than what she was letting on. And as he got up to leave, he gave the kitchen one last scan. In the corner of the kitchen, he saw a dog cage. Now, he hadn't seen evidence of a dog. There were no toys, no dog basket, and importantly, no dog. So he asked her where the dog was, and she said they didn't have one. He then asked about the dog cage, and she told him it was for her. And then she opened up and told him all that her husband had made her do. Now, I don't have a question in the dash saying scan the environment, look for things that don't fit and things that do, although this is part of the training. And I created the dash risk model for victims of abuse, and more than half the questions focus on coercive control. But yet she didn't answer positively to any question, and he knew there was more to it than what met the eye, but he could have just left right there and then, and he didn't. And that's what I mean by being professionally curious, asking questions and trusting your instinct. His gut was right. We have more brain cells in our stomach than a dog has in its head. So always trust your gut. And last but not least, my seventh takeaway is that I'm curious about Maria Hendy. Now, she didn't appear in the docu-series, but she was with Hendy Freegar for nine years. And in the show, they talked about the fact that he had punched her and he'd knocked her teeth out. So do not underestimate how dangerous he is. She gave him her money for so-called operations, but he used the money to buy luxury cars, watches and expensive suits for himself. He didn't use the money on her or his two daughters. And I wonder about the two daughters as well. What have they experienced and witnessed? Are they safe? 
I hope Maria does come forward with her story when she's ready. I'm sure the police would be interested in hearing it along with Kim Masters. Both women were present at the 2005 trial. Kim talked about how he threatened her life and her son's. When his conviction was later overturned, Kim said that she was worried for her own safety. Now that to me speaks volumes, and I expect many are fearful, and that's exactly why they've remained silent. However, what I will say is that your silence does not protect you. It only protects him. Now is exactly the right time to speak up. But never underestimate the confidence and arrogance of a man like Hendy Freegard. He believes he's smarter than the police and everyone else. His counter-surveillance moves at the airport. Yes, he's done some homework. But all it takes is a good problem-solving and proactive detective working alongside a good crime analyst and his days preying on women and those he believes he can easily manipulate will be over. He's a dangerous individual and he'll only stop when he's stopped and held accountable and responsible for his actions and behaviour. The coercive control law is in place for a reason and I'm really thankful to everyone speaking out on the puppet master and I hope Maria and the children and Sandra are okay and know that they're not alone and that many of us understand what happened and that it's not their fault. Two children desperately miss their mother. Jake and Sophie made it clear they want their mum back and of course this despicable individual is now using the Clifton surname. And be warned, he may well have changed his name again by now. I really hope Sandra contacts Jake and Sophie, as they need their mum in their lives, and I hope that happens sooner rather than later, and Sandra finds the words to tell her story. Hopefully, the docuseries has helped paint the true picture of the man he really is. And there's a law there just waiting to be used. It's called coercive control. And the other women should be tracked and traced and spoken with, including Maria and Kim, and I'd be only too happy to help out. Okay, so that's my two cents. Let me know if you have any questions, thoughts or observations. Until next time, be curious, ask questions and always trust your instinct. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Adam Gross. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrude. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big